Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast. A weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Himra Chanel, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations. Because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Ave, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Park Avenue Baptist Church, in response to COVID-19, has suspended in-person worship, but that can't stop us. What you'll hear on this podcast is a recording of our online worship, which happens each Sunday at 10 a.m. Join us through our Facebook, at Park Ave Baptist, or our Instagram, at Park Ave Baptist. We hope that you stay safe in these difficult times. All right, now I'm gonna be reading from uh, Exodus 20, so perfect uh, kind of intro to this. Um, Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself, no form whatsoever of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters underneath the earth. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name that way. Remember the Sabbath and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks. Honor your parents so that your life will be long and fertile uh, on the fertile land that your Lord, your God has given you. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Do not desire and take uh, and try to take your neighbor's house. Do not desire and try to take your uh, neighbor's spouse or servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the horn and the mountain smoking, the people shook with fear and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid because God has come um, only to test you and to take uh, and to make sure that you are always in awe of God so that you don't sin. The word of God for the people of God. And without further ado, any further ado, uh, Reverend Ron, uh, you're invited to the pulpit this morning. Thank you, Henry. Y'all hear me okay? Good deal. Um, well, I feel like I don't even have to preach because between Lindsay, Marquise, and that last song by Kevin, um, that pretty much sums up all that I have to say this morning. But um, I'm excited to try and mesh it all together and um, share with you what God laid on my heart. Um, I'm really happy to be here with you all this morning. Um, as Henry said, my name is Ryan, and I am a recent graduate of Candler School of Theology. Um, 
I've had the privilege of getting to know many of you this past year because um, I've actually called Park Avenue my spiritual home. Believe it or not, being a seminary student is one of the most spiritually draining things that I have ever experienced. And last fall, I realized that I had spent my entire adult life working in churches, whether it was through various internships or part-time staff positions. And I knew that I needed to take a break. Um, I realized that I was really good at being a professional Christian. I was leading worship, I was reading scripture, I was doing children's sermons, I was teaching Sunday school. But outside the walls of the church, I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I didn't have any sense of who I was in relation to God, nor was I a part of a community where I felt safe enough to figure it all out. And that's where you all come in. You all have provided for me that community to be open in who I am, to have doubts, and to still be in community with one another as we try to figure this whole God thing out. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, and I say all this because this is the first open and affirming church I've ever attended. It's the first church that I've seen actively fight racism openly. Um, it's the first church that I've seen attend a protest or speak from the pulpit against injustice, injustice and oppression without any worry of backlash. Um, Park Ave is a community that truly embodies the gospel in a very tangible way. And so that brings us to the text this morning, the Ten Commandments. We've got 10 declarations of God to God's people on how we are to relate to God and to one another. Walter Brueggemann um, describes the Ten Commandments as a proclamation in God's own mouth of who God is and how God should be practiced among a liberated community. But that's not really how we use these 10 words of God in the popular religious consciousness, is it? Um, often these are the thou shalt not, um, and they're viewed as burdensome and really heavy obligations. And for some, these words of God are limits to personal behavior. For others, they are societal laws that are enshrined on large monuments to be displayed outside of courthouses. Um, if asked, I don't think most Christians would be able to tell you the Ten Commandments in order. And I know I have an MDiv, and I don't think that I can do it. Uh, I was preparing for the sermon, and I was remembering the, the little hand thing, <laughs> trying to remember how to, how to tell the Ten Commandments um, that I used to pass the quiz in Old Testament. Um, and so for some, these Ten Commandments are a semblance of law and order that symbolically represents what it means for a nation to be holy or right before God. However, I think what's important to note here is that these rules are not actually prefaced by an order. They're not prefaced by this order that says, here are 10 rules, you have to obey them. But instead, they're prefaced by an announcement of freedom and liberation we see in verse one, then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so it's hard to shake these notions um, of these being the 10 commandments, but we have to remember that it's an invitation to see what life can look like because of God's liberation. One of my favorite preachers, Tom Long puts it this way. 
because the Lord is your God, you are freed to not need other gods. You are free to rest on the seventh day, free from the tyranny of lifeless idols, free from murder, stealing, covetousness as a way to establish yourself in the land. The political theologian John Allen writes that this liberated mindset is instituted because Pharaoh knew exactly what it takes to keep the people down. Pharaoh knew exactly what it took to make the Israelites down and defeated. And so we see in the first, in chapter five of Exodus, the first saga of the let my people go. You've got Moses and Aaron who go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh responds with, let's make the work harder. Let's break them even further. Let's break their spirits. And the harder, and pretty much he says, the harder that they work, they won't pay attention to these words that Moses is saying. And it worked. Moses goes back to the people and the text says that they cannot even listen to him because of their broken spirit. And so this is the foundation for the rest of the Exodus story. God's people are broken down and tired and they don't know where God is in the midst of all of it. So when this chapter, chapter 20 opens, we find the Israelites liberated from Egypt and out, out in the wilderness. They've been met with thirst and hunger and they complained a lot. And God gave them bread and water from heaven. They had been attacked by the Amalekites. They won. And then they finally reached Sinai. And then in chapter 19, we see God makes a covenant with Israel. God makes a covenant with Israel that they would not become God's, that, that, excuse me, that they would become God's most treasured possession. It would become a priestly kingdom and a holy nation as long as they keep up their end of the covenant. And so this is very different than the previous covenants so far we've seen in the Bible, where you've got Noah and Abraham. Um, this is the first mutual covenant where Israel must follow God's commands, even if, if they are to remain God's people. And so this covenant requires action on the part of the Israelites. And so I wanna point out that scholars note that this is a covenant um, in the form of what's called a suzerainty or suzerainty treaty. And it's a part where a suzerain or a king or a lord lists all of the good things that this king did for the vassal or the people and lists a set of stipulations that the vassal must obey and then promises to reward the vassal for that obedience. And so we see that kind of form take place in this Old Testament passage. And so we've got, it begins by God identifying God's self as the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery in verse two. But theologically, this assertion serves to, as a reminder of the people of who they are. They are precisely the ones who God delivered. And God is reminding the people of their most formative story. So you've got verse six where it says, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's the same steadfast love that um, God promised in the Song of Moses or the Song of Miriam. Um, you've got the commandments to honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. And this points back to the covenant that was made with Abraham and Sarah, the mother and father of the multitudes for whom the land was promised right at the beginning. 
Verse four, you've got creation language. You've got heaven above, earth beneath, water below the earth. And then you've got the Sabbath, which takes us back to the first creation story of resting on a seventh day. And so you see, this is God taking the stories of God's people in a new way and presenting it and saying, this is how I'm shaping our identity as a people. This is how I want you to re relate to me. And this is how I want you to relate to one another. And so I'm brought back to Brueggemann's quote that I said at the beginning, because this is brought God proclaiming who God is and how God is to be practiced among a liberated community. So a lot of scholarly work breaks this passage into commands about worship and then commands about human relationships. But I really think it's better that it's understood as being intertwined. So you've got laws concerning proper worship of God. And I believe these laws concerning proper worship of God are the ways in which we are formed in worship. And that affects how we treat other people. It forms us, the way that we worship God properly forms us into the people that are able to keep up the other end of the bargain, the other end of the laws. The way that we worship God are about forming Israel as a sacred community, forming us as a sacred community that is rooted in the right worship of God and the ability to live in peace and justice with one another. Um, a theologian that graduated from Emory, um, Elizabeth Webb writes, this is as if God is saying, this is what you were made for. You were not made to wander. You were not made to be afraid. You were not made to hunger and thirst. You're not made to be lost. You were made to live in this community of justice and right relationship with your God. And of course we fail at that. We don't always stick to this way, the way we, that we should. But Sinai, this Sinai experience always serves for us a reminder of the sacred community that we were made for. And the Sinai experience calls us back to it and reminds us of who we are. But what does this look like for us today? What if we were able to view the Ten Commandments in light of what we've heard this morning? Regardless of politics, I'm sure you'd be able to find people who identify themselves as Christians, who will lend a help, helping hand to those in need, provide hospitality, give rides to people, cook meals, even give away some of their money. But I wonder what would happen if we asked ourselves to live, live out this covenant that we've made with God in opposition to the state, in opposition to this capitalist mindset, um, this grind culture, this need to produce. If we lived out this covenant outside of these parameters that are false gods, that are things that we are putting ahead of the covenant that we've made with God. And so if we operate in this way in opposition to all the things that try to tear us down, to, that try to divide us, that try to make us inferior, to try to make ourselves or anyone else feel less than, um, I believe God's demand for justice, our job as a community of justice requires us to behave in ways that are beyond the boundaries of what the state is able to tolerate. Um, the most primary commandment is that the gods of our everyday life, the ones that rule over our conscience, the ones that rule over the ways that we are limited in our potential, the ways that limit the ways that we change, the ways that limit our ability to enact justice and change in the world, 
those guides are no longer overruled or no longer what rule over who we are. We are a community with a God that has freed us from this absolutism. We are in co covenant with a God that has freed us from what we think the state, what we think the economy, what we think the judicial system has power over us. We're freed from that. And so as a country, I believe we are collectively right now beginning this reorientation to this liberated mindset. I believe it is our duty as Christians, as people who are upholding our end of the covenant with God to lead in this endeavor. We no longer have to look at this passage as 10 maxims for a better life, but rather as 10 words from God that liberate us from anything that rules over our thoughts and actions, aside from the God that we are in covenant with. We are liberated to love God with our whole beings and to love our neighbors as ourselves. With this Sinai experience and sacred covenant, what this Sinai experience and sacred covenant offers us is an opportunity to reorient ourselves to a mindset of liberation. It's an opportunity to re-examine how we are living as a community, how our worship of God and our treatment of one another are intertwined. And we see here that the foundation of divine law is that we are liberated from the responsibility of worshiping or revering anything other than God. We are liberated to rest. Um, and this is an aside, but one of my favorite Instagram accounts is the Nap Ministry. Um, and it started by Trisha Hersey and pretty much Trisha identifies as the Nap Bishop. And her whole ministry is that rest is a form of resistance. And so that's just an aside, but um, this covenant that we're living in liberates us to rest. We are liberated to treat others with decency, love, and compassion. We are liberated to look at the world through a new lens of justice. We are liberated as children of God to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And we are fully liberated to love our neighbors as ourselves. In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sustains us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta, across the street from Grant Park, at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into a world that is too often unjust. Knowing that the God that created you loves you. And empowers you to love boldly, live inclusively. And serve creatively. Creatively.